First John chapter four this morning. First John chapter four. I want to talk to us this morning about <clears throat> dwelling in his love. John fifteen ten, Jesus said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Now I like that, don't you? I want to abide in his love. I want to dwell in his love. I want to live in his love. I want to stay in that place uh, where I recognize the reality of his love. That's a sweet place to be. God has some sweet places for us, and that's a sweet place. Surrendering is a sweet place, and dwelling in his love is a sweet place for us to live. And we need to live in that place. And John 4, 17 through 21 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Don't you love that? Don't you? The enemy wants you to have a fearful heart. The enemy wants to pound you with fear. He wants you to live in that fearful place. But you know what? Love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word to us this morning, Lord? Lord, we're dealing with the issue of love, and Lord, we're not good at it. Lord, we ask you, Lord, would you you help us today? Uh, Would you supernaturally put your finger upon us and, and help us? Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work your way through the seats in this church, Lord, and the hearts in this church. And Lord, would you work your way as far as love is concerned? Lord, may, may, we, may we know your love for us. May it just grip us. And oh, Lord, may we love you back, and may we love others because of the way that you have loved us. Lord, would you bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Dwelling in his love. <clears throat> if we dwell in love... First of all, we will have confidence in the day of judgment. Uh, we will have come. Now, now, what does it mean to dwell in love? Well, <clears throat> uh, John 15 calls it abiding in Christ, dwelling in Christ. That would be the same thing as dwelling in love. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about walking in the Spirit. That would be the same thing as dwelling in His love. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 5 uh, talks about being filled with the Spirit. That would be dwelling in love. You know, abiding in Christ. In fact, we could kind of summarize the whole thing and say this about it, that walking with God in a close relationship is to dwell in his love. And you know, every believer in this room has known times when they've done that. You've known times when you've, when you've walked with him. You've known other times when, when you weren't with him. You know, we were, talking, we were talking to Sunday school about relationships and how do you know when somebody's bent out of shape with you? Well, somebody said, they, they tell you. Right? And uh, even if they don't tell you, though, you know, don't you? You see, every child of God knows when they're right with God and when they're walking with God. It, it shouldn't be a huge burdensome thing to us. It should be the norm of life so that when it's interrupted, we know it. We recognize it. Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, something wrong between me and God. And, I, and when something is wrong between you and him, it needs to be made right because that's where he wants you to live. He wants you to live in the place where you're walking with him and dwelling in him and knowing his presence 
and knowing his power and knowing his love in your life. And love is a, is a powerful thing. The world sings about love all the time. I'm not sure they know what love is half the time when they're singing about it, but they sing about love all the time because everybody wants to feel loved. We're hungry to be loved. And when you know the love of God, there's a hunger in you that's satisfied that can never be satisfied anywhere else. Because no one can love you like he does. Nobody knows you like he does and can accept you like he will and love you like he will. There is no such thing as unconditional love apart from him. We all have conditions on our love, but not him. He loves us unconditionally. And a need of our souls is met. And if we would just see it, if we would just get it, grasp it, lay hold upon it, we would want it so badly that we would dwell in it. We would, we would make it the goal of our lives to stay in that place. To stay in that place where we're, where we're walking with him in that love relationship. Nothing is worth sacrificing that for. Not for a moment. Nothing is worth sacrificing. Nothing is worth, sa worth sacrificing that sweetness with him. Nothing at all. And yet we do, don't we? You see, <clears throat> what our verse here is telling us is uh, that <clears throat> um, when we dwell in love, we have no fear of judgment. No fear of judgment. Now, <clears throat> judgment is coming, and it's terrifying. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, there's for believers, there's, there's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me just say to you about the judgment seat of Christ. I, I'm not afraid of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm not perfect, and I've done things that I'm not proud of, uh, even since I've been a believer. But you know, the drift, the, the, the aim, the goal, the, uh, the direction of my life is to please him and is to look to him. And I'm looking forward to that day when I get to stand before him. And you should be too. You've got nothing to fear in this judgment seat of Christ. You've got nothing to fear uh, in death. Death means you, you, you're translated from this world into his presence. And you know what? You walk with him and you abide with him and you dwell in his love. And there's nothing to be afraid of. It just gets better after that point. <clears throat> but then there's the great white throne judgment. And that's for all those that are not saved. And that is truly terrifying. See, here's the thing. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, you can't dwell in his love. You don't really know his love. Now you say, hang on a minute. Now, God's done some good things in my life. You know what? God is so generous and good and blessed that he causes his reign to fall upon the wicked and the believers. Listen, he just blesses everybody, the godly and the ungodly. But there's a sense in which when you become his child, you know his love that completely surpasses anything else of your relationship with him. You ask me, how do I know I'm saved? Well, I could give you lots of reasons from the Bible why, how I know I'm saved. But do you know how I really know I'm saved? Because I know him. Because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I am his child. And if you're his child this morning, you know what I'm talking about. The Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God's come to indwell me. And you know what? It's not because I'm wonderful or great or anything. It's because of him and because I have a relationship with him. But you know, until you're born again, you can't have that relationship with him. And, and he wants for you to have that relationship with him. He wants to draw you in. And there's a judgment coming up. Uh, and it's a judgment of all those people whose names are not written in the book. Let me ask you. When was your name written in the book? When was your name written in his book? My name was written in his book in 1986. 
when I bowed before him and I asked him to save me by my bed in Fairhouse. One Glencarry Drive, Fairhouse. My name was written in the book and it can never be taken out of it. When was your name written in the book? When was that day when you bowed before him and you asked him to save you? When the transaction happened, when you trusted him as your savior and he became your savior. Listen, <clears throat> if I could scare you into heaven, I would. <clears throat> I'd, I'd, I'd do anything to scare you, uh, to get you into heaven, even, even if it meant scaring you. But you know what? You can't scare anyone into heaven. You can't scare people very often with spiritual things. The Spirit of God has to do that work. But if your name's not being written in his book, if you've not been born again, if you've not come to that place where you've trusted him, would you open yourself to him today and say, Lord, I need it? Because you know what? When you cry out to him, he's real. He's there. He'll respond. God, God won't leave you hanging. If you cry out to him, if you're really willing, uh, if you would say this morning, listen, I'm willing to get saved. Lord, show me. You know what? I guarantee you, he'll show you. Because he's a great communicator. He's the best. We're not great communicators, but he's the best. We're not great at hearing, but he's the best communicator. He can, you, just, you just open yourself to him and say, Lord, show me. I, I want this. He'll show you. He'll do it because there is, a, there is a judgment coming up that's a terrifying thing. Secondly, though, if we dwell in love, we have nothing to fear. Now, that's, that's a big statement, right? And the verse says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, why would I have no fear? Here's the reason why. Right? Because if, if, if he loves me, and he knows what's best, and he has the power to do what's best, what have I got to fear? In fact, John 8.32 says this, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is there any good thing that God would deny you or I? If he gave his son to die for us, is there anything he's going to hold back? Is there any good? No. Now, am I going to face some hard things? Probably. I've faced some hard things up to now. I'm probably going to face some more hard things. I mean, I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, scripturally. But you know what? I have nothing to fear from him because he's involved. He's in control. He's the God who's in charge of us. So I have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing. You say, but hey, what, what if this happens? Listen, if that happens, he'll be there and you'll be okay. That's the reality. You have nothing to fear. You, you know, you can think of your worst nightmare. Now, your worst nightmare probably won't happen, right? Do you understand that? It's, probably, it's never happened before, has it? It's probably, it's probably not going to happen, right? But the reality is, as his child, you are going to face hard times, but he's going to be there for you. And we can go around the room today, and we could, we could give testimony of how God was there for us in hard times. Now, I hate hard times, don't you? I hate problems. I hate difficulties, you know? I, I never wake up in the morning and say, oh, give me some problems today. And they just come all by themselves. But you know what? I always love it when he brings me through them. I always love the product of what, what he's done in my life when he pulls me through problems. And always, the, the, the net result of what he does in my life is he always helps me to trust him more. See, you know, every problem I go through makes me fear less. Because you know what? He was there in the last problem. He'll be there in the next problem. 
You know, you and I have those moments when we look at the situation and we think, oh no, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. You know what? We're not all going to die. Not till he's ready. And when he does, he takes us to be with him. He's always going to be there with you. In the, he's made you a promise, yet I will never leave you nor forsake you. you know, and if there was no other promise that you could find in the scripture to lean upon, that's one you could pillow your head at night on. I will never leave you nor forsake me. Remember the little uh, prayer we used to pray when we were kids when you, when you go to bed? Uh, Lord, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? You, you, you know what he says? Why are you praying that for? Of course I will. Because he's promised to be with you always through everything. Nothing's ever happening in your life that he's not involved. I have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. He loves me. I love him. You know, what have I got to fear? Do do, do you see how the Christian life, far from being this life of, you know, where you can't have any fun, the Christian life is the sweetest, best life it's possible for anyone anywhere ever to have. Listen, don't buy into the lies that the enemy would have out there. Oh, you become a Christian, you won't be able to do this, and you won't be able to do that, you won't be able to do do the other. Listen, if you become a Christian, there's a whole lot of stuff you won't want to do because you'll be so happy in him. You'll be enjoying him. Not, not problem free, but you'll be enjoying him. And you see, that's what Christianity is. And, and, and one day you're going to die, and as, as a Christian, you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to enjoy him. Christianity is him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by... It's him. It's a person. <clears throat> and he wants you to understand. You know, listen, <clears throat> you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. I've given my son for you. I've pledged my love. I've committed myself completely to you. Do you really think I'm going to let you swing now and not take care of you? It's almost laughable, isn't it? And yet sometimes we do, don't we? We get in the place where our faith kind of falters and we think, oh, this is, this is hard. This is going to be really hard. I'm not sure I can make it through this. Listen, of course he's going to help you. I mean, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, the disciples in the boat, they're there thinking they're going to sink. How can you sink with Jesus in the boat? How can your life fail with Jesus in your life? It's, it, it's impossible, right? <clears throat> then I want you to look at this. If we dwell in love, we are responding to his love. We're just responding to his love. <clears throat> you see, Jesus gave himself for me. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't every relationship in your life this, this, this toing and froing and toing and froing? Not this relationship with him. He gave himself to the death before you were even interested in the relationship. He committed himself completely before you were interested. And we love him because he first loved us. Look at Romans 5.8. But God commandeth, God showed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now what does it mean for you and I to be sinners? What does it mean? It means to be enemies of God. Do you realize before I was saved, I was an enemy of God? Now if you'd asked me, I'd never have said that. I never have admitted to that. But I was living my own life, doing my own thing, and saying, God, listen, <clears throat> you take care of your own stuff. This is my stuff. I'm looking after it. And I was an enemy of God. I was going my own way and doing my own thing. And so were you. But do you know that he showed, he commended? 
He, he, didn't, he didn't do it in the back room so I wouldn't know about it. He didn't leave me to guess about it. No, he showed me. He showed me by going to a cross and paying the price for my sin. Now, we're very likely to make that the impersonal sins of the world. Aren't we? Very easy for us to take and say, yeah, well, he died. He didn't die for me. He died for everybody. No, it was individual. We're going to talk, go to the table this morning, the Lord's table. And I want us to park on this thought for a moment and just kind of work our way through this thought. Do you know that he died for you? You know, we say, well, if you were the only person in the world, he still would have died for you. And that's true. But I, I'm not sure how much we actually comprehend the individuality of his death for us. Now, when you and I go to prayer, we pray to God like he's an individual God, don't we? Now, there, there might be a million people praying somewhere in the world at any given time. But I expect God to hear my prayer. And he does. He gives me his individual attention and he listens to my prayer. He doesn't say, get in the queue, Dave. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hear you Tuesday week. No, he says, yeah, come. You're my child. Talk to me. I expect God, and, and he does. He hears my prayer individually. You see, he, he loves us individually, and he died for us as a whole, but he died for us individually too. Look at Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He made him to be sin for us. Now that's powerful. That's not saying, by the way, that, that he took on himself our sin. Another verse says that, that, that he took our sin in his body on the tree. Do you know that Jesus became sin for us? He, he, he took it in him. He, he, he took it on board completely. It wasn't just a, a burden he bore on his back. Him who knew no sin. Let, let me <clears throat> try and illustrate it for you. I, I have a, a, a work jacket that's my dirty jacket, right? Now, my wife hates my dirty jacket. And the reason she hates it is because I look homeless when I'm wearing my dirty jacket. My dirty jacket's got muck on it. It's got paint on it. It's got oil on it. It's got every, every kind of muck you can imagine on it. And I daren't give it to her to wash because if I do, I'll never see it again, right? Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be gone. But I love this jacket. So I'm kind of invincible when I wear this jacket because I can get under the car. I can paint and not worry about it. I can dig, a, dig muck and not worry about it. You know, it's a great jacket. It's a wonderful jacket. I can, I can even do, do some stuff with the septic tank and not worry about it because this is my, my dirty jacket. Now, I think most of you men probably have a dirty jacket. Ladies, listen, leave the dirty jacket alone. It's a very important part of a man's, a man's kit. Uh, he needs a jacket that he doesn't have to keep clean uh, somewhere. But, but, you know, I love it. Now, listen, you see the way I'm dressed this morning? I'm not getting under a car. Okay, I'm just not, right? Because <clears throat> I'm clean. I, 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 I want to stay clean. I, I'm not going to paint today. Not, not, not while I'm dressed like this, because I'm clean. You know, I'm, I'm not going to dig, dig, dig in the muck, and I'm certainly not going near the septic tank. I'm going to stay as far away from that as I possibly can, because I'm clean today. But do you know that Jesus didn't have a dirty jacket? 
He was clean through and through. He knew no sin. He knew absolutely no sin. <clears throat> Him who knew no sin. Not, never from the beginning of time. Never told a lie. N never did anything wicked in his life. Never had a wicked thought. In, in eternity or in his life. Ne never, never touched anything of the defilement of the felt of sin. Never. You know what that first tells us? He made him sin for us. He took it all on. Every filthy thing you've ever done, he took on him. Every wicked murder, he took it on him. Every, everything, that the, all the wickedness of the whole world, he took on him. Him who knew no sin. Him who was clean through and through. Look, I think that, that the physical pain of the cross was horrible. I think the physical pain of the cross was enough that, that we would have run miles to avoid it. But that wasn't the worst part of it. I, I, I think the separation from his father was horrible. I think the humiliation he suffered was horrible. But he had to take our sin in himself. Can you imagine? I can't really imagine. He who was holy, sinless, undefiled, took our sin on him. Now you're going to say, <clears throat> well, you know what? <clears throat> he was God. He was able to do it. But you know, being God didn't lessen the pain. Being God just made it worse. He was holy, sinless, undefiled. Being God qualified him to bear our sin and pay the price for it. But it didn't make it easier for him. It didn't make it any easier. He took all the filth of the world on him. All the sin of pedophiles. All the sin of mass murderers. All of it. So it was an all or nothing thing. But he took all of it on. And if you were to ask him, well, why? why? Why did you take? Why did you do that? Why would you do that? Why should he love me so? Why? Why would you do that? Why? Why would you, you that were wholly undefiled, why would you take on board my sin? And he would say, well, because one day, a man called David O'Gorman is going to kneel by his bed. He's going to confess his sin and he's going to ask me to save him. And the enemy's going to fly into a rage. Satan's going to fly into a rage and he's going to say to the Father, you can't save him. Look at all that he's done. He's mine. And he's going to list his sins 
And my father's going to look to me and I'm going to say, yes, that's true, but I paid for it all. I've paid for every one of those sins. And the father's going to stamp on my book, so to speak, paid in full. And he's going to give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's about as real as it gets. That's what happened. And you know, that's exactly what happened when Jeff Parker got saved. Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He did all those things. But I paid it all. And the father stamp paid in full. When Elisa got saved, Jesus said, yeah, he did. She did. But I paid it all. Paid in full. Everybody in this room that's born again by faith in Jesus Christ, that's what happened. There was a transaction. It was, it was you. You're not just one of a mass. You're not just one of the crowd. You're not just somebody that was saved because there was a great salvation going. No man called Jesus took your sin into himself and went to a cross and paid the price in full. And the Father said, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. It's enough. And I'm going to heaven today because he did that for me. How can we not love him? How can we not respond to that kind of love? How can we not understand if he gave that for me, He can never stop loving me and respond by loving him back. You see, when we dwell in love, when we realize his love for us, then we're responding to his love. And the last point, and then we're going to go to the table, is this. Dwelling in love means loving others. You know, you may have Christians, you may have believers that you have a problem with, and you know what? Christians are not perfect people. Not by a long chalk. We're forgiven, but we're not perfect. And you may have Christians that you have a problem with, that you have a difficulty with, but you do know that because of the love that's been poured out on your life, you're supposed to love them. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, do you think he might have envisaged the fact that there would be people, Christians in your life, that would make life difficult for you? that there would be Christians in your life that would be maybe not all they should be. I, I think he invisibly said, love them anyway. I want you to love them anyway. <clears throat> Look what our verses say. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. You know that God wants us to love each other? Uh, Look, I understand. I know there's problems. I know there's hurts. I know there's difficulties. I know there's issues. But you know what? You didn't even care about him when he died for you. You wanted nothing to do with him when he died for you. You were living your own way, going your own way, doing your own thing, and, and, and he died for you. 
And he says, now I want you to love your brethren. Love them because I've forgiven you. Love them because I've loved you. As we go to the table this morning, yeah, that's really important to us here. There was a time when the, when the table was called a love feast and it became a bit of a, a, <clears throat> a you know, a banquet and Paul wrote, wrote to the Corinthians to, had to stop it and we'll read that in a minute and tell them how to do it right. But do you know that the Lord's table is really a time when we recognize our love for each other? Because of what he's done in our lives. We're supposed to love one another. And, and as we go to the table today, I want you to ask yourself, is, is, is that true? You see, love is kind of the, 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 the basic rule of Christianity, and yet it's the highest rule at the same time, isn't it? And, and you know, my lack of love always denotes a problem in my relationship with him. Always. And... <clears throat> He's not asking you to do something in and of yourself because you can't. But he is saying to you, because I love you, because I've given myself for you, because I've poured my love into your life, I've taken your sin and instead I've given you my love, I want you to love one another. And when he asks you to do something, you can do it. Husbands, you can love your wives. Wives, you can love your husbands. Children, you can love your parents and honor them. Parents, you can love your children. We can love each other as a church. See, what he did changes everything. Nobody ever dreamed of something like God coming down and taking our sin and paying for it on a cross and loving the unlovable. But he did. And it changes everything. And as we come to the table this morning, we're going to remember what he did for us. But remembering it without letting it impact our lives is kind of a joke, isn't it? Remembering it without letting it change us it's a little bit insincere. Going to the table this morning and saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And taking juice, reminding you of his blood, while in your life there's sin that you're not dealing with. In your life there's a lack of love that you're not dealing with. That's, that's kind of making a mockery of what he did for us. I, I don't know how this works, but <clears throat> I'm convinced that every sin I commit today, he had to pay for. So do you realize that if you and I do wrong stuff, he has more to pay for? Now you say, hey, it's all paid for. Yeah, I know, we don't understand. Time doesn't work the same way for us as it does for God, but somehow, I add to what he had to pay for. Wouldn't it be silly? Wouldn't it be a joke? Wouldn't it be a mockery for me to come to the table today and say, hey, you know what? I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm going to carry on in my sin, adding to what you did for me. Now, 
I don't want to condemn you in any way. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He says this, though. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That if you're here this morning and there's something between you and him, and you honestly in your heart say, I don't want this, I want him. I was wrong. Forgive me. He'll forgive him. And it can be dealt with. Oh, there might be something you have to deal with with somebody afterwards, and, and, and be faithful to do that too. But you know what? In the moment you confess the sin, it's forgiven. It's cleansed. It's taken away. The Lord's table is not a time to escape. The Lord's time is a great time for us to remember what he paid for us, how much it cost him, and to keep in mind the fact that, you know what? I love him. I don't want to add to the burden at all. I want to live clean and holy. Because I love him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for these. And Lord, would you bless us now as we go to the table. And Lord... <clears throat> Would you work in hearts and lives today, we pray. Or may it not be a time when we go to the table and just don't really take on board what we're doing, but may it be a time when we let the truth of your word sink deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.